0: I mean, if you didn't, there's plenty at the back. And if you did, uh, it's, we're going to have a little look at Mark's Gospel. The very beginning of Mark, or near the beginning of Mark, Mark chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at verse 14. If you've got the Church Bibles in front of you, it's uh, page 1002, Mark chapter 1. Can you just expose me... Excuse me for one minute. There's something I need to get from back here. I'll explain in a moment. But Mark chapter 1. I'm allergic to lilies. And there are an awful lot of lilies in church today um, and I suddenly realised why I couldn't breathe so I've kind of taken something suitable um, it's actually a, a, a very sad reason why there are so many lilies and I did want to say a public thank you the um, uh, lovely chap Richard Williamson um, who used to live in Halliburton Road and uh, many around here knew very well um, died uh, very suddenly over New Year um, my age 44 and Cat uh, his wife uh, who we know well and also uh, knows us well um, and and uh, she and the family uh, asked to have a thanksgiving service here I at the funeral earlier in the day on monday we had 450 people crammed in here it was unbelievable i mean we had 100 people standing at the back let alone every we had loads of extra chairs out. it was absolutely as full as you could possibly imagine um lovely show of support and of love for the family and uh, i know that cat and the family felt very supported and encouraged and would value our prayers um and they wanted to Uh, leave these flowers here partly as a thank you to you guys for having them on that day Um, and just in in memory of Richard so I didn't want to just just head through the service without acknowledging that and uh, I'd love to ask your prayers for Kat and for her two little girls um, Sophie and Isla who are just six and four Uh, it's a very very tough road ahead for them Um, and uh, I know that we'll be praying for them um, over the coming uh, few months we're going to come to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses um, from there and then uh, we're just going to hear what God might have to say to us uh, through that. Mark chapter 1 and uh, beginning to read uh, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men and once they left their nets and followed him when he had gone a little farther he saw James son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets and without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hard men and they followed him This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been thinking over the last couple of weeks about this idea of good news. Uh, And uh, you might remember from last week when LT was uh, preaching, or maybe when I've mentioned it in a previous couple of weeks, that this word good news, it's a single word in the Greek that Mark writes, euangelion, wasn't unique to Mark. And it wasn't actually just a general description of something. It was a technical term and it was first used by the Romans um, uh, when they did their proclamation around their provinces and uh, in particular it was used by Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus had come to power after the uh, assassination of Julius Caesar and he needed to reassure the provinces, reassure the empire that there was a new Caesar and so he sent round a euangelion. Good news and the good news was Augustus has become Caesar. Augustus in our terms is king or president or, or ruler that was the first uh, certainly for Mark's readers that was the first time they'd really heard that term used in a technical way euangelion good news Augustus is Caesar so along comes John the Baptist and then along comes Jesus and now along come the gospel writers gospel is another word for good news along they come and they say good news not Caesar but the king. Not Augustus, but Jesus. In fact, when the very first Christians were being persecuted for, for their faith by the, the Roman Caesars and by the Roman state, the thing that was demanded of them in order to avoid persecution, in order to avoid some of the worst and most terrible uh, punishments and tortures that human, humanity has ever created, the thing that was demanded of them was simply this, that they should bow the knee and proclaim Nero, Nero, is Caesar or whoever was in power at the time they wouldn't and the reason they wouldn't is because they knew that there was another king they knew that this was a battle they knew that this was a clash of kingdoms the true evangelion, the true good news was not that Augustus or Nero or any of the other Caesars were Caesar it was that Jesus was king Jesus was the rightful ruler over all time and all space over all peoples everywhere Jesus was king and his throne had been a cross and his triumphal procession was his resurrection and his people were not just the romans or the greeks or the jews were all people everywhere were invited to come under his kingship his rightful rule the god of the universe in jesus sitting on his rightful throne and that's why when Mark talks about the, the, the good news, he, talks, he reminds us that John the Baptist and then Jesus say that the good news is to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply that where God reigns, where Jesus is acknowledged as king, where lives are lived under his rule, where communities are shaped by his kingship. So the good news of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is amongst us that he who was rightfully king is now sat on the throne and that anyone who wants to be part of his kingdom simply has to bow the knee to him and their lives will be shaped by that good news. Communities, peoples, countries, the world shaped by the good news that Jesus is king. Now, so far so good. The question is, what does it look like to have a life shaped by that good news? It's all very well to get good news. The question is, so what? If you were in some far-flung corner of the empire and you heard the euangelion that Augustus was Caesar, actually it would shape your life quite a lot because what it meant was the empire wasn't about to fall. It would mean that you would remain an an occupied territory. You might think that was a good thing or a bad thing, but it would certainly affect your life. On the other hand, there's plenty of good news we hear that doesn't affect us at all. I, I was, I confess, quite chuffed to hear that Bradford had won um, uh, and beaten Chelsea. Uh, that's partly because I'm a Manchester City supporter and we'd lost as well. And that, uh, that meant life was a bit, le- bit less uncomfortable for me, but it didn't change my life. It didn't shape who I was. On the other hand, if I'd been a player for either of those sides, then yeah, it would have had a big impact. Good news is only truly, truly good news if it's actually good news for us. It's otherwise just news. So this good news that Jesus comes proclaiming, as we read in verse 15, the kingdom of God is near, how's it going to shape our lives as individuals? How's it going to shape our life as a church? If we are a good news church, a people of God shaped by the good news of Jesus that he's king, how does it shape us? Well, I want to suggest these verses that I've just read about the calling of the first disciples are a good place to start because these are the very first people whose lives are shaped by Jesus' proclamation of the good news. And we read about Simon and Andrew. We read about James and John. And we read about what happened to them, how it shaped their lives well the first thing that happened to them this good news for them gave them an incredible opportunity Uh, if you were a a fisherman in those days you would have been uh, knowing you would have known that you were going to be a fisherman since you were able to to walk and talk They'd have spent all their lives on the water. Since they were a toddler, they'd have been taken out in a boat. They'd have learnt the ways of the Sea of Galilee. They'd have learnt everything there was to know about fish and fishing, about how to mend nets, about how to mend the boat, about how to pull the, 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 the catch ashore, about how to um, gut and to scale and to, to cook the fish they were keeping and how, to, how and where to sell and to get the best price for the fish. Their whole lives were about fishing. That's what they were. They were fishermen as Mark says, verse 16. For they were fishermen. They weren't simply going out for a bit of a jolly, they weren't going out for a bit of leisure activity, let's go fishing. That was who they were. The whole of their lives had always been and would always be until they finished all of their working life was fishing. The problem was that as a fisherman, it was a dead end. They would have been pretty much entirely uneducated, they would have had very, very limited prospects. It wasn't an environment or a culture in which you could think, well, today I'm going to be a fisherman. Two years' time, I'm going to set up a little fisherman's cooperative. Five years after that, we're going to industrialise and build a factory. Ten years after that, we're going to be a big corporation, you know, funding whatever the ancient equivalent of Tesco's was. You just didn't do it. You were a fisherman. If you were lucky, you are part of a fisherman family. If you were even more lucky, you are part of a little cooperative, maybe of villagers who worked together. But pretty much, that was your world when Jesus came along and said to them follow me I don't know about you but we sort of think well weren't they a little bit nuts to follow him I mean really if somebody comes along to you in your day job and says to you dump all of that come with me yeah you're going to call for security to have them thrown out you're not going to go oh yeah that's fantastic I'll come with you You've got to ask the question, why did they go? Well, they went because they saw Jesus as a rabbi. A rabbi was a religious leader, a religious teacher. He was already somebody that would have been known to them through the preaching of John, through John pointing away from himself to the good news that was Jesus and they knew that there was a pattern that rabbis had disciples. Rabbis would call the very best of the best of the best, the, the most educated of the educated within the sort of synagogue system, they would call disciples to follow them. So for a start, the first thought in these guys' minds must have been he's made a terrible mistake. Does he not know? We're not out here fishing in between our studies. This is who we are. We're not disciples. We're not educated religious types. We're just Simon and Andrew and James and John. Why would you call us? But on the other hand, you don't say no to that sort of opportunity. This was a big deal for them. This was an opportunity to grow. This was an opportunity to learn. This was an opportunity to be someone. Now, there were mixed motives in that, but actually we mustn't miss the fact that when God calls us to follow him, he says of any human being willing to follow us that this is an opportunity to grow. You're not meant to stay the same. We're meant to grow in our faith and our maturity. We're We're meant to actually, in following him, find that God believes much more is possible in our lives than we ever do. Countless Christians down through 2,000 of years have been able to testify that God uses them, if they're willing, for far more than they could ever believe. We're the ones who box us in, not God. So the first thing, this was an opportunity to grow. Fantastic. But it was also uh, a call to be part of a team. As a fisherman, you were primarily on your own. You might work in pairs, out on the lake, you were pretty much you versus the elements, you versus the fish. But you notice Jesus doesn't call them individually. He calls all four of them at time. And then, of course, he calls another eight. And there are 12 of them that, that live alongside him, day and night, for three years. And alongside those, maybe another 80 or 90 who become part of his party. Actually, following Jesus is never a solitary occupation. Faith has only become solitary really since the Enlightenment, over the last few hundred years. Because it's all been to do with what goes on up here in our heads and maybe more recently what goes on down here in our hearts. But it hasn't been like that for the first 1700 years of the Christian faith. Actually, following Jesus is never just about me and God. It's about me belonging to God's people. Me serving as part of this team, I guess you could say, being part of God's family, being part of his kingdom. If you're a citizen in the kingdom, you have fellow citizens. If you're a child of God, you have brothers and sisters. If you're part of this church, you have people alongside you in the pews, you would perhaps never choose to even talk to in the street, but they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. These men and the women who were called alongside them over the next three years, they weren't called just one by one. They were called as a group. God Actually, Jesus never sent them out one by one either. If you look later on in Mark and Luke, they're sent out in pairs. We belong together. We serve together. The good news is not just something for me on my own that somehow makes, gives me an opportunity for me and my life to develop my faith, my life. Actually, the good news is about our good news. It's an opportunity to grow, a call to serve as part of a team. But it was also a big risk, which brings me back to this sense of, really? Would they really say yes? Because it wasn't just about whether they'd trust Jesus. I, I think well, that's okay. They, they knew that Jesus, who Jesus was, at least they knew a bit of who he was. He was a rabbi, he was well-respected, he was already beginning maybe to get a reputation, they'd follow him, this was an opportunity. But they were going to have to leave behind all the security that came maybe with the restrictions of being fishermen. I mean, yeah, we, we look at it and think, gosh, real dead end. From their point of view, they look at this job of being fishermen and think, well, pretty much we're made for life. I mean, we're not going to be rich. We're not going to be powerful or important and have great status. We're never going to be educated, but there's going to be food on the table. There's going to be a job. There's always fish. There's always people who want fish. That's our job. That's our livelihood. When Jesus called them, it says they left their nets. They left their father. They left the business. They walked away. That's a big call. To give. What well, we don't really want to give. To give away, what is the thing that gives us security? Financially? Status? Job? What they discovered, of course, is that in giving away, they received far more than they could ever give. That in giving away, God could not be outgiven. As the Old Testament writers put it, God is no one's debtor. But it was still a risk, it felt to them at the time. The good news shaped their lives. And and actually, as I've been reading it, I've been thinking, well, on one level, we could just leave it there. On one level, we could simply say, do you know, this is rather good. This can be our new passage for us as a church. Because you remember back with Count Me In, In? Back in May, June last year? And when we talk about what it means to be a member of all souls, we say, if you want to know what it looks like to be a member of all souls, to belong here, then it's about grow, serve, give. A commitment to grow in our faith, to serve as part of a team, to give financially as we are able. Great. It's here. It wasn't just random. Except that that would be an exercise in missing the point. Because Jesus doesn't call his disciples to follow him for their sake. He doesn't call them to follow him simply to keep his organization going. He doesn't call them to follow him simply to be a great team doing stuff for him. He calls them because this is good news and good news needs told. Follow me, verse 17. And I will make you fishers of people. you fished for fish, now fish for people. You are going to follow me. Your job is to call others to follow me. You've received the good news. This is shaping your life. Actually, the reason that I want you to hear the good news is so that in being shaped by it, you can tell it to others. The purpose of you following me, says Jesus, is so you can carry on being fishermen. But now fish for people. So it's all very well and right and proper and good to say that following Jesus, we should be committed to growing in our faith in everywhere we can. One of those would be to be part of a life group or part of a prayer triplet or go to the women's breakfast and pray together or read a Lent book. We're going to launch those in a week or two's time. Be here Sunday by Sunday. Worship, pray, hear God's word. It's a good and right thing that we serve as part of a team. Whether you're part of the Ivy Bridge team helping run the food bank, whether you're helping with children's groups on Sunday where you're sat behind the video projector thing or serving refreshments, whatever it is we're doing, we're not meant to do this on our own. We need one another. Absolutely. We're to grow, we're to serve, and yeah, we're to give. Give financially as far as we are able to the work of God here and around the world. That is true. Grow, serve, give. But do you know, as I've been reading this this week, I think God's really nailed me with something. That the danger of grow, serve, give is that we miss what it's all about, which is tell. We're meant to live out the good news. We're meant to tell people that this is good news, not just for us, but for them. In the words that we speak, in the lives that we live out, in the things that we do, we're meant to be and to say the good news, because that's what we see here. The very first disciples of Jesus weren't simply called to, to find this wonderful opportunity to better themselves and to grow. They weren't simply called to serve as part of a team and keep things going. They weren't simply called to give up financially their, what they might want for themselves to keep things going. The point of it all, of growing and serving and giving, was to pass on the good news, was to be fishers of people. And honestly and truly, if as a church, if as followers of Jesus, we're not living out the good news so other people see it in our lives, and we're not willing to speak the good news so that other people hear what it's about, then all the growing and serving and giving in the world will simply turn us inwards. That's when churches die. That's when denominations lose their way. It's like being a human being and doing all the eating and breathing in the world, but never doing any exercise, never doing any work, simply sitting and being. Thereby lies doom, really, not health. We're called to be fishers of people. The disciples, they discovered that that would happen in two ways that would happen in the things that they did by being good news for others bringing healing bringing help bringing comfort and it would happen in the words that they spoke as paul wrote writes later on giving a reason for the hope that is in them and so in our lives as followers of jesus we're to be good news for others by being peacemakers by fighting for justice by feeding the poor, by clothing the hungry, by caring for God's creation. And we're to speak the good news by having a reason for the hope that's in us. We might not only know that much, but if we know that much, we need to tell that much. So over this term, as we go on, we're going to go on thinking about what it means to both be and to tell the good news. To both live it out in front of other people and to be willing to speak it out of other people and I haven't decided at the moment because I've only been thinking about it the last few days whether we hit when we hit count me in in May and June we need to go from grow serve give to grow surf, give tell but if we don't we do at least need to remind each other that's what it's about we're to be fishers of people because it's really good news if we keep it to ourselves we're simply being selfish with what we found let's pray together Heavenly Father, thank you that these first disciples uh, were shaped by the good news that Jesus is King. But we thank you that it wasn't just meant to be good news for them, but for all people everywhere. And so we pray this week that you'd help us in the way we live our lives to be good news for others. And that you'd help us in the words that we're willing to speak to tell that good news to others, that many others would come to know that this good news is for them, not just for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.